Are you that... Are you that childish? You have completely misunderstood me. Are you that childish? Some woman called and says, Please say frustration. I've said it, madam. You mean to tell me that that's the one word you wanted to hear on the radio? I said word. I didn't say topic. I said word. What word would you like me to say? <laughs> that you would never believe possible. I want you to picture it now, hanging over your radio, that word. I have a sneaking suspicion that America is almost exclusively peopled with grown-up Bobsy twins. Exclusively peopled with young men who in their youth were named Ned, the fun-loving rover. Or Flora, the serious Bobsy. <laughs> now, come on, now, come on, now, shake the dust, will you? You're alive, you fool. You're alive, and that is about all you can count on. You can hope for other things. You can dream about other things. You can even believe in other things. But what can you count on that you can hold in your hand? Yes, I am alive. And even that is sometimes questionable, right? Becoming more and more so. I mean, more and more, the dream is becoming a dream, a real dream, and you're walking through it. It's as though you're walking through an eternal second act that was badly written by a second-rate playwright. And it's being reviewed by top-rung critics. Did you see the ad, the, the, the full-page ad in the New York Times book review section? It, it was one of these ads that showed the typical ad-type housewife looking out of her typical ad-type housewife home. And she's got that kind of sharp, faintly aggressive, vaguely uh, neo-maternal look about her. She's looking out, and, and underneath her, underneath the great big old picture of this chick, is the statement, simply and clearly put, a new way to learn how to paint by painting masterpieces right from the start. You see, the great dream of America is not to go from A through Z, but to go from A to Z in one gigantic leap. This is the dream of all of us. If somehow you could write a best-selling masterpiece novel without ever writing the novel, this would be the ideal way to be a writer. Because we believe in fame in America. We don't believe in achievement. In fact, I heard the other day, right on this very station, I heard a man being interviewed by, by a person. And it wasn't long, John. I heard a man being interviewed by an interviewer-type person. And they talked about this man. They talked about his work. They talked about how much of a, of a celebrity he was. And then afterwards, in quiet conversation, I heard it said that, of course, I've never read your plays, nor I've ever seen them. But I just know you must be very good. In other words, being a celebrity is much more important than doing anything to be a celebrity. Brendan Behan is a good example of that. How many people who are writing about Brendan Behan have ever seen a Brendan Behan play? How many of you have ever read any Brendan Behan? 
How many of you even know what Brendan Behan writes about? Okay. All you know is that Brendan Behan is a character and he'll be on the Jack Parr show before the week is out. That's enough. That's enough. Thank heavens that, that George Bernard Shaw was able to get all that writing done before we discovered television. Bernard Shaw would have spent all of his life sitting in on panels. He was a born panel member. He, he was a born guest. But he lived before they had discovered guestship and panelship. And I suspect that more writers are killed by television and are killed by the movies and are killed by the magazines purely because of the hunt for the celebrity. I think it's far more important to be Ernest Hemingway than to write like Ernest Hemingway to most people today. I foresee the day when Ed Sullivan is going to look out from the screen and he's going to say, Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as a part of our big show, uh, here is a famous international act we're going to present to you. Uh, are you ready, Art? Uh, we're going to present to you uh, a favorite that's been around for a long time that all of you have enjoyed for many, many years. Here he is, Ernie Hemingway. And the curtain will go back, and Ernie Hemingway will be sitting there with his beard, his shorts on, and his shirt hanging out of his pants, looking fat and slightly bibulous, a little bit angry. And Ernie will then write on the blackboard behind him one Hemingway-type sentence, like, uh, She said it was raining. The rain came down, the wine was good, and the cheese was bitter. And then the crowd will applaud. The curtain will come down, and Ed Sullivan will say, You've just seen Ernie Hemingway, the famous international writing expert, the international act that all of you have enjoyed for years. Next week, we're going to bring to you Bertrand Russell. And Bertrand Russell will rustle for us for a few moments. And in just a moment, we'll bring you the Yale marching team, followed by a Mercury automobile commercial. It's a big show tonight. Well, this is all part of the game, you see. It's all part of getting from A to Z without going through the various intermediary steps. The little steps that, that you know have to be traversed. That if, if, if uh, there was such a school, and I, and I see it coming up very shortly, I see in our time, I see a school that's developed completely and around the whole concept of fame. They teach people how to be famous. I can just see such a school. Fame taught. Thirty easy lessons. You, too, can get your name in Dorothy Kilgallen's column. You, too, can be seen lunching with a starlet at Sardi's. Why, as a matter of fact, large numbers of people have already discovered this principle. It would be very interesting if I were to ask the average guy who reads the average column just what some of these people do who are constantly being referred to in these columns, who are constantly being seen on these shows. I mean, are you sure you know exactly what Elsa Maxwell does? <laughs> can you can you tell me you you really know what uh, what Betsy Palmer really does, or Maggie McNellis, or or any one of the other great the the, the let's say the fame experts, the people who are experts on being famous, and and everywhere you look, you can see the jumping from A to Z process going on. Friends, there is a new way to learn how to paint. Now, you're going to ask me what that way is, and I'm going to tell you what that way is. It is by painting masterpieces right from the start. 
Now, now, isn't that the kind of thing that you've been looking for all of your life? I'm going to read you the copy now, friends. I'm going to read it to you so that you cannot mistake what I am saying to you. How would you like to paint a superb work of art in your very first attempt, right in your own home? Not a beginner's exercise, no. Not a little sailboat sailing against the painted ocean, oh no. But a beautiful masterpiece that you will be proud to hang in your home for all to see. And more amazing, how would you like to have your success not just assured? Oh, but guaranteed. What does a man want more in this life than guaranteed success? Even if you never took a drawing lesson or held a brush in your hand before, oh, this is no dream. Whatever your age, your occupation, you can now join the happy thousands of artists in the ages past who have painted masterpieces. You can be one with Botticelli, Utrillo, Van Gogh, Toulouse-Lautrec, Rembrandt. You can join that happy throng jostling towards immortality. Oh, yes. Uh, send your name and address to immortality, W-O-R-19. Immortality. Try it for ten days. Guaranteed to be satisfied, rich, an experience that you will never forget. Join the Hall of Fame. Oh, yes, and then the picture shows this woman. It shows this chick, and she's looking out, and she's painting very casually with a little thin dime store brush, and she has a palette there, and she has been tracing a drawing by Utrillo. She has been tracing a drawing by Utrillo. And underneath it, it says, you begin to understand as never before the pathos, the joy, that Utrillo poured into his great work as you trace it. Can't you see Utrillo sitting there drunk to the ears? His eyes red and bloodshot. Do you know anything about Maurice Utrillo? His eyes bloodshot. Watching this housewife trace his suburban street. <laughs> doing? Or, maybe even better better than that, can't you see this tiny figure of the truncated Toulouse-Lautrec, Toulouse-Lautrec, standing there next to the television set, with his little derby pulled down over his beetling brows, standing there watching an American housewife in Westport trace the sunflowers? Or, or, or even better than that, even better than that, the picture of poor, benighted, sad, mad, fantastically talented Van Gogh standing there with a bandage over his ear, watching a tall, thin man wearing a pair of loafers, a pair of gray flannel trousers, and a lounging sports shirt as he quietly, as he quietly traces, as he quietly traces it out. Oh, quietly traces out Van Gogh's sunflowers, Toulouse Lautrec's Momar. All the joy and all the pathos that went into it. Trace, trace. You too can understand. And you can go 
from point A to point B. Now. That's what we want. Bad throngs! Hey, baby. Hey. Hey, hey, uh... Guess who? And I am awake. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm laying in bed there. And I hear you fooling around out here in the living room. And I, I hear the rain coming down. Are you listening? Come on, come on. Just, just for this minute, put the puzzle down, and I have, I have something that I want to say to you. <laughs> I am, I am laying back there on my duff, and for some reason or other, which I cannot explain, you know, baby, have you ever had these these things that suddenly appear to you in your mind, uh, just a picture of some crazy, disjointed thing? that never had anything to do with what you're doing. It just it suddenly appeared, you know? Well, I'm laying in bed there a couple of minutes ago, and I can hear you with the record player on, with Brubeck banging away and with Desmond tootling away, and the rain coming down, and I hear that guy swearing in the parking lot outside, down the air shaft, and suddenly, for some reason or other, this crazy picture came to mind. Last week, I'm in the Biltmore. You remember when I came home about three hours late? Well, I'm, I'm in the Biltmore, and I'm sitting there in the lobby. You know, that they've got this place in the Biltmore under the clock where F. Scott Fitzgerald lost his life, <laughs> where all the chicks from Smith meet all the guys from Harvard, and all the gals from Bennington meet all the guys from Illinois Tech. Well, I go in there about 5.30, and I sit down at one of these little itsy-bitsy tables, a kind of table that reminds you of Monopoly board. You know, it's about the size of a little bottle cap that you sit on your knee with. And, and uh, this guy comes along, and he brings a couple of screwdrivers for me and Ed, and we're sitting there, and we're talking it over. <laughs> it's a funny bit. And we could not concentrate. And I suddenly realized that all these people, there are, there are dozens of them, all sitting around there in the Biltmore, and they're having drinks. All kinds of chicks and all kinds of guys. I mean, and most of the guys looked at least twice as old as the chicks. And all the chicks had a, had a certain high cheekboned look. A kind of 530 Biltmore look. You know what I mean? A good bone structure. And they're all sitting there. And these guys were kind of graying at the temples. And they, it was, it was a, a fascinating thing. And it suddenly occurred to me that I'm right in the middle of Deceptionsville. I mean, I'm right in the middle of Deceptionsville. Now, now what I mean is this. Who are these people? And, and and why are they that way? I mean, what brought this chick to sit with this guy who's at least old enough to be her father? I mean, this guy who's sitting there who, who looks like he has a year-round suntan. And what brought him to sit with this chick? And, and here they are, both of them sitting there, drinking martinis. And they are walking along the edge of a, of a kind of great gulf of danger. And both of them know it, see? This chick knows that this guy, you know, it's, it's like playing with fire. And this guy knows that this chick is explosive. You know, baby, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a man, you see. And I can tell you something about being a man, if you're interested, if you want to listen. Are you aware 
And I have to say this. I have to say it clearly. Are you aware that some chicks, when they walk down the street, spell D-A-N-G-E-R? I mean, these are the kind that fold right out of Playboy magazine every month. I mean, they just, it's, they, they, they just exude a danger. <laughs> Look, I am not, now stop it. Now cut it out. Now I am not talking specifically about you. All I could say is what my mother used to say. She used to say, if the shoe fits, <laughs> what made you think I'm, I'm discussing you? But I will have to admit, baby, that there are certain bells. Oh, shut up, Rubeck. There are certain bells, there are certain danger signals, certain... I'll whistle. There are certain overload relays that go off when you walk into a room. I mean, you know, let's, let's face it. I, 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 I'm going to tell you something. I go into a room with you... I don't care whether there are a thousand guys, three feet tall. Within five minutes, 24 guys think that any minute now something is going to happen between you and them. <laughs> How do you think that makes me feel? Right. For the first time you have laid it out there, right. Yes. Okay. But now here's the point. This is the thing that I would like to say. Where were you at 3.30 this afternoon? When I called here this afternoon. I mean, you know, I, I'm just sitting there and I'm beginning to realize that, that half of these chicks that are there are supposed to be somewhere else. And half of these guys, oh, half, 90% of them are supposed to be someone, and someone is believing that they are somewhere else. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> Look, I know you were at Gristidi's at 5.30, getting some Pascal celery, or is it lettuce? Or, or is it olives? Now, I know you were getting a carton of cigarettes, I will accept that. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that nobody really wants to know. Ever. You see what Sunday afternoon does? It's a rotten time, baby. I mean, if... It, it, how many letters? Six letters. A six-letter word meaning what? Oh, come on. <laughs> I just thought of one. And the New York Times wouldn't dare print it on Sunday. <laughs> it's my rotten mind. Yeah, I suppose. Look, baby, you got your cross to carry. I got mine. Everybody's got his cross to carry. Yeah. Hey... May I ask one thing that might sound like a leading question? Okay, I won't. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, I'm not putting you on. I will not ask you the question. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you a question that you should have asked me. Where was I at 5.30 on Thursday? 
It doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, it's just part of the game, you know? I, I think that all of us want to walk a tightrope, all of us. All of us would like to... Baby, how would you like to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel? A balsa wood barrel. Huh? <laughs> you know, in spite of it being right in the middle of the afternoon, I am going to go into the kitchen. I'm going to get some ice cubes. I'm going to get some other things. If you would care to join me in some ice cubes, that will be fine. And some other things. And I'm going to look out at the gray sky for a while. And I'm going to think of the clock at the Biltmore. And I'm going to think of that six-letter word. Uh, did you say 23 across, baby? Okay. I will be back in five minutes with the ice cubes. Maybe even the six-letter word. This is WOR Radio, your station. Now, I, I like the idea, really, of being new. Uh, I, I have been hoping for a long time that someone would recognize that all you have to do is to, uh, I mean, you know, remove the wrapping. We are, each one of us, a truckload of demons. Speaking of demons, we have with us Masters. When you buy at Masters Discount Department Stores, you are assured not only of sensational savings, but of Masters' six-point policy that guarantees satisfaction or your money back. And for a thorough satisfaction in stereo phonographs, lend an ear to Westinghouse as displayed at Masters Discount Department Stores. They have five of them. 48th Street in Manhattan, Route 9A in Elmsford, Route 4 in Paramus, Lake Success Shopping Center, Long Island, and 3702 Main Street in Flushing. Leave it to Long Island to have a lake named Success. I wonder if there is a lake there that has demanded equal time. <laughs> I mean, excuse me, I just have to... I mean, uh, light does not exist without dark, you know. Success is not a thing that exists in a vacuum. It can only exist in the company of failure. Are you aware of that? <laughs> uh, it's a wide-swinging, free-form, stereo life you lead, my dear, in perfect fidelity. And while we're on the subject of perfect fidelity, uh, I, for a long time, I've been, golly, uh, it must be, Seven or eight years ago, I, uh, it was about seven or eight years ago. I was in Philadelphia at the time, and it was at three o'clock in the morning, and I'm fist fighting against the million flies and gnats that besiege the human mind at that hour. I, I, I began to really realize that, that the schizoid split that goes right down, not really down the middle, but it, it goes off at angles down through each one of us is a thing that varies almost as the time of day varies, that varies as the barometric pressure varies. I've wondered, I've wondered how many wars were plotted, let's say, on certain days of the week. I wonder how many, how many vast, all-sweeping, 
decisions were made, let's say, on a Tuesday morning when it looked like everything was hopeless. Somebody says, we might as well push the button. What difference does it make? And then there is always that little rising feeling of hope about Friday afternoon that you're going to make it again this week. Of course, then, then by Tuesday, you're ready to press the button again. Go through these cycles, cycles. And it must have been eight or nine years ago. I had just begun to, to fight the flies. I had just begun to, to slap away at the gnats, the little, the, little, the little bugging insects that cling to our lives. And doing it publicly, incidentally, has it, has it ever occurred to you why a writer writes? I'm constantly being besieged by calls. People who say, what are you trying to prove? I don't know. What are you trying to prove? Uh, uh, what, what, why is he doing that? I don't know. Why do you do what you do? Uh, who does he think he is? I don't know, madam. Or mister, who do you think you are? And who of us cannot say we are us? And who of us can say they are, that we are not and have no real reason to be us? So, so these little flies, these little gnats are digging away at all of us all the time. What is bugging us? I don't know. Has it occurred to you, and I must say this again, we are sitting right in the middle of the biggest convention city in the world now. We're, we're having a, a dictator convention. And, and we're hearing the news that one of them is arriving pretty soon out at Idlewild. I wonder if he's going to arrive in a plane that's decorated with bunting. <laughs> I mean, welcome conventioneers. Tito arrives from one direction, Khrushchev arrives from the other, and all of them are wearing big buttons on their lapels. I'm Ike. Who are you? Ike of the USA. I'm <laughs> each one in his own way. It, I, I think we have an innate thing that uh, that we, we, we really must build statues out of lead. We have to. What is it that drives a man from Circleville, Ohio to come all the way to New York and take back with him as the only thing that he takes back a lead statue gilded, painted with gold paint, a lead statue of the Empire State Building. And on the side of it is a is a, is a paper thermometer that immediately stops working as soon as it crosses the state line. Now, what is this urge? My grandmother, you know, a funny thing, when my grandmother departed this veil of tears, she left a large trunk full of cracked cut glass that she had saved over the years, feeling that any minute now some device or some new technique might be solved that would be able to repair cut glass. She left that. She also left a large collection of lead keys, the type of keys that hang in living rooms and dining rooms all over the Midwest that say on them, Souvenir of Sarasota, Florida. And each one of them has, as an integral part of the overall composition, a paper, a paper thermometer. She left at least seven of those. One of them was from Santa Fe, New Mexico. This was the prize of her collection. She left one from Chillicothe, Ohio, one from Mammoth Cave, Kentucky, one from Sarasota, Florida, and I believe there was one from Peoria, Illinois. These keys, these leaden keys, with the illy operating thermometers, told the story of my grandmother's life, just as completely as did the cracked 
cut crystal. Now, she couldn't have said it any better had she written an autobiography. She couldn't have said it any better had she said, this is what happened to me. And so, eight years ago, I'm sitting there swatting at the flies, and it suddenly occurred to me that, that we have in our mind a million images of a million people, and we all know them. And each one of those people has a name. Is there one of you out there who can't to himself say, yes, I know Frida? I will now mention the name again, Frida. Can't you see Frida, a large blonde waitress that works in a Rikers on 3rd Avenue? Hey, Frida! <laughs> and, and I thought this was just a, a thing in my own mind, you know? I thought this was a silly thing that I had invented. Well, the other day I am, I am going through the eternal search for something to read, and I came across a book that is a collection of people's names. That's all it is. It's a collection of people's names and who these people are. Do not be fooled by the terrible title of the book. I think the title is, is one of the worst titles I've ever read. It's one of the most misleading titles. What Not to Name the Baby. A ridiculous title because it has nothing to do with a book. Not only that, what it does have to do with a book is wrong. It is merely a description of all the people that you have ever known and their names. People are often formed by their names. I mean, what do you think ever happened? Look, Edward, Edward had to be Edward R. Murrow. Douglas. You have seen, all of you have seen Douglas Edwards on the news. Well, Douglas is Douglas, if I've ever seen a Douglas. He even combs his hair like Douglas. Crying out loud. I mean, it's obvious. And Jack, who, who among you can... can I mean, is there one among you who doesn't say that Jack is a tip? Is Jack Parr is Jack. He really is. Irritated, psychotic, mad, rich. I mean, oh, this is Jack, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, and certainly, Dwight is Dwight. I mean, Dwight is Dwight. He isn't really Ike. Don't kid yourself. I'll bet his grandmother and his mother and everyone in his family called him Dwight all of his life. And it's no, there's no doubt, but Richard is Richard. He ain't Dick. Did you hear what his mother said recently? Dick Nixon's mother? This, this reporter came around and he was talking to her and, and he kept referring to uh, her son as Dick. And she kept saying, well, yes, Richard uh, often used to do this when he was a boy. Well, the reporter finally said, well, look, you know, uh, to us, he's Dick. She says, to me, he has always been Richard. Well, that's because she knew him. <laughs> he is obviously Richard. So please don't call him Dick, you know. Uh, uh, President, ex-President Hoover is obviously Herbert. I mean, he really looks like Herbert, doesn't he? There's no question about it. He is Herbert. And, and, and can you imagine a more perfect Woodrow? I mean, he really is Woodrow, believe me. And and Roosevelt is not Theodore. He was Teddy. Oh, bully, man! <laughs> He's a born bowling team captain. He's Teddy, you know, with a gruff heartiness. And here is a book, I'm telling you, I ran across, and it really says it. I mean, it really does. For example, Bernard. Bernard never seems to have much fun. I have never known a Bernard who did. It's incredible. 
listen to this one. Brick. Can you imagine? I can't even read to you. Since this is obviously a family station on a family hour, I can't tell you what the story is on Brick. How about Charles? Here is Charles. He likes to hang around with his father's friends. He uses dental floss. (laughs) Chester is very active in Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) Bruce, when your sister brings a girlfriend home from school, you get the friend to date with Bruce. He looks okay and won't make trouble. Chris has stereophonic sound, wears a cap, and likes to make salads. He reads Playboy. (laughs) Uh, Are you interested? Is there anyone out there got a name? Just give me one name that you'd like to hear. If it's in this book, I'll tell you. Huh? Who? Edwin. All right, let's see if Edwin is in this book. If, if you have a name, quick, call it in here, because our time, our, our world, our little bitty thing that we have here together, Fletcher cuts uncanceled stamps off envelopes and for some reason saves them. <laughs> Listen to Gaylord. Girls think Gaylord is wonderful because he is sensitive and a perfect gentleman, and never, but never makes passes or asks them up to his place. Gaylord is Lloyd's roommate. (laughs) I don't have to say any more. Jay is a compulsive check picker-upper. Is there anybody out there who, who has a name? Edwin. Oh, yes, Edwin. Edwin. Come on, give me a name here before we go. This is a great book. Let me see. Edwin, 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 Edwin. E-A-B-C-D. Clay, Clay. Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) Listen to a discussion of Dick. Dick is neat and in school was voted the most likely to succeed. He almost did. (laughs) We can hope. All right, here's uh, Ed, Ed, Eric, Ernie, Everett, 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 Everett. Edwin. Edwin is an assistant. He buys girly picture books. <laughs> I'm sorry, Edwin, that's the way it is. Uh, well, how about a chick's name? We've been looking at men. Now, come on. I, I Somebody called in Joseph. I'll look up Joseph here. Uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K... A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. See, we have chicks here, too. I mean, some of the chicks. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Joseph, Joseph, Joe, Joe, Norman. J, K, L, L, M. H, I, J, K. Uh, Joseph is not listed. Huh? No, 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 no. I will not look up anybody's name here. I have to work with these people. And this thing is far too, far too accurate. Uh, is there anyone who would like me to look up a chick's name? Come on, hurry up there. 
I don't have my... If you're going to miss your chance, I mean, that's all there is to it. I'm not going to fool around with you. Anyway, the name of this book is uh, What Not to Name the Baby. Uh, Jules is an accountant. He drives a big black car and looks like a high-class gangster. Actually, he isn't. <laughs> he sometimes is called Julie. That's quite true. High scratches a lot. He either talks your head off or has nothing at all to say. <laughs> Felix is a bridal consultant. He might also be in the ladies' hat business. All right, hold it up there. What's the name of the chick? Jacqueline. Oh, there's always somebody comes up with a ridiculous name like that. Jacqueline. Well, I can give you Jackie, baby. Is that all right? H-I-J-K. <laughs> Gladys. Oh, Gladys. Oh, boy. Natalie Pearl. Pearl is shy and quiet. Unless she comes from a farm. Then she's shy and noisy. H-I-J-K. L-M-N-O-P-Q-R-S. Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-H-I. I don't know. There's no Jacqueline here that I can tell. Martin? Oh, boy. Yeah, Martin is in here. Michael. Morris. Marvin. Marlon. Martin. Martin likes to sneak into reserve sections and private beaches. It will take him a long time to get out of the mail room. <laughs> well, if you're interested in this, the name of this, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not selling this thing. <laughs> I just think it's very funny because it's very true. Uh, the name of it, Do Not Be Scared Off, is What Not to Name the Baby, which leads us to uh, uh, the paper book gallery. I picked this up at the gallery, and I would like to point out that if you are a Sunday afternoon type and don't know about the paper book gallery, this is one of the uh, most interesting booksellers in America today and is one of the most encouraging signs, incidentally, to come along in the publishing industry in a long time. Uh, just a few years ago, the, uh, the, whole, the whole mushrooming thing got started on about $500. A guy by the name of Marty Geisler started it, and today they are considered one of the most important factions, one of the most important single elements in the publishing business in New York. Uh, the paper book gallery, of course, is down in the village. There's one on 3rd Street. Uh, there's one that's back at the NYU campus. And there's one right down on uh, Sheridan Square, right next to, uh, well, right across the street from Nick's, you know. It's over there on the west side. And then there's one, the new one, is next to the Howard Johnson on 6th Avenue near 8th Street in the village. And I don't know whether they're open or not today. You can give them a call and see. I have no idea. But this is the paper book gallery. And uh, I think you'll find it worthwhile visiting. And while we're on the subject of the village, it's almost uh, 3.30 now. And I'm sure that a lot of you are scratching around and would like to know about, if you could, if, uh, a good restaurant to go to today. Well, I would like to make a recommendation. Uh, Ying and Yang is one of the finest oriental restaurants in America. As a matter of fact, Gourmet Magazine, a few months back, designated Yin and Yang as one of the five outstanding oriental restaurants in the United States. They're a magnificent little restaurant. 
and you'll find that uh, you pay for everything you get here. In other words, the food is superb. Uh, the prices are not cheap. They're not expensive either. But you will find that uh, you get what you want there. You will find that, you know, some restaurants, even the fanciest ones, you walk into it, there's a kind of an unpleasant feeling. You, you say, you, you feel, well, I've got to measure up to this now. You know that feeling of walking into a place and feeling a little bit uncomfortable as though somehow you've got to, you've got to prove something. Well, I think you'll find that Ying and Yang is one of the pleasantest of the restaurants of its type that you've ever visited. It's a, and, and if, another thing, it is not filled up with those ridiculous, uh, linoleum covered walls, nor is it filled up with those booths that they seem to cover with Chinese red oil cloth. <laughs> and uh, there are no fluorescent lights in it. I think you'll find uh, this one has that feel about it that uh, you rarely find in good restaurants. Ying and Yang is open today. They will be open until around midnight tonight. They have a bar. Their address is 82 West 3rd Street and wear a jacket. And I would suggest you call them before you go down to set aside a reservation. As a matter of fact... Uh, since I am now off on Sunday nights, I think Sunday night will be my yin and yang night. I will be down there tonight, probably. Uh, the one thing that I would like to recommend personally is this. Uh, most places have something they do better than other things. Uh, the one thing that I would like to recommend is their chicken wing appetizers. They're magnificent, really. Uh, to me, you know, a chicken wing is a chicken wing, but... When you find these appetizers, they're like, like tiny drumsticks prepared in some sort of very, very, uh, a very personal kind of sauce. And I can't describe it any better than that. It's one of the most interesting dishes I've ever had in any Oriental restaurant. Oh, incidentally, one of the things they specialize in is northern Chinese cooking, which is very different from the cooking that most of us are used to when we think of Chinese or Oriental cooking. Uh, this is Ying and Yang, 82 West 3rd Street, Y-I-N-G-Y-A-N-G. Oh, yes, and that, uh, that, that, that brings up a thing here. That has nothing to do with the commercial. The Ying and Yang, which is the thing which is bugging us all the time, that, that without the male, there is no female. Without the dark, there is no light. You know, Without the color, there is no black. With, without the sour, there is no sweet. Uh, and without, you know, has it occurred to to you that that when that when that tree falls, when that tree falls in that gigantic jungle out there with nobody to hear? Stop! Stop! No! No! Stop! Don't! You're doing it, doing it again. When that when that voice goes off, there is no one to hear, and when there is no one to hear, there is no one to talk. When and how? Speaking of when and how, we'll be here till 4 o'clock this afternoon, swatting just as hard as we can at the flies that surround us. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Very, very, very rare occurrence, it is true, but occasionally it does happen. Uh, just a moment ago, uh, a, a lady type called in and says, For heaven's sakes, what is this man saying on the radio? Me and my daughter can't turn it off, and he's saying the most insidious things. This is for the birds. I think he's... Madam, that's the nicest thing that could be said. Insidious. I would suggest you look that word up. That is a word that describes all of mankind. Insidious. Can you imagine an insidious giraffe? Can you imagine an insidious chipmunk? I think it's the thing that sets us apart from our animal, our animal neighbors. 
our ape cousins, is the quality of being insidious. And the more a man is insidious, the more human he is. I don't know about that, young man. I think it's an awful thing you've said. That's true. Indeedy mo. Oh, but it happens occasionally. Like like the other day in Rome. When when all the men and all the women, all the athletes representing all the world's nations got together to battle it out on the playing fields. Did you hear what happened in the water polo match? Oh, these are the things that are never really reported because they say the truth. They really lay it on the line. There was a water polo match going on between two countries. It doesn't matter what countries they were. They were men, that's all. A group of men on one side and a group of men on the other. Have you ever seen a water polo match? A water polo match is the most insidious of all the sporting events, madam. Man has taken once again to the sea. He lashes about, flashes about, and thrashes about, and splashes too. Kicks and pulls and throws a little beach ball back and forth, shoves and sweats. It's, it's a fantastic sight, madam, to see two teams of water polo players fighting it out for the world championship. Well, here's what happened. They were playing along fine until along about maybe five or six minutes before the game was to be over. One team was leading three to two. And they were flashing and thrashing. And it was a tremendous battle going on. And suddenly, the spectators were treated to the spectacle of man finally doing it. Have you ever seen a free-for-all breakout in a swimming pool between two angry water polo teams who forget all about the beach ball and start slugging it out, and all of them try to drown each other, one after the other, one after the other? And, and the, the audience sat spellbound. It was the biggest event to hit the, to hit the Rome Olympiad in many, many centuries. It was the closest that man had come in... Hundreds of years to a real lion baiting. And the water rose higher and higher and higher. The blood streamed down to the bottom of the pool. The shouts rose and, and the audience didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. The referees couldn't stop it. Nobody could stop it. And all of the television cameras in all of Italy were trained on this event. Millions of people saw it. And millions of people saw for the first time in a long time what it was all about. I know, baby, I've heard you. I've heard you before. I have heard you say it many, many times. And I welcome you to my knee. Is there anyone out there who... <laughs> Is there anyone out there who would like to be dandled on a good, solid knee for a while, huh? Huh? I mean, you know, just... just... Oh, now, come on, now. Now, come on, don't, don't pretend. I mean, it's, it's much, it's much more important and much bigger than both of us. Oh, The water polo game of civilization.
Come on, don't start, don't start getting overconfident. Do you know that one of the big agencies on Madison Avenue, concerned as it is with the obvious fact that the people who work there are becoming more and more neurotic, more and more vaguely unhappy with the increasingly abstract nature of their work, have begun to pump through the air conditioning systems and the ventilation ducts of the four floors of their offices, the smell, an artificially created one, albeit, but nevertheless legitimate, the smell of fresh sawdust. Because there is something about the smell of fresh sawdust that makes man feel honest. It makes him feel like work is going on. J.B., one thing I like about this shop is that you fellas really buckle down. Let me tell you, over at our shop, there's just a lot of sitting around, a lot of talking, a lot of writing, and a lot of working on mimeograph machines, and a lot of IBM things are clicking. And I'll say one thing for your shop, there is work. <laughs> oh, that smells good. I like to hear the smell of good, honest labor. Good, honest. Good, honest labor. <laughs> the smell of good, honest sawdust coming out of good, honest television sets. I suppose what it is that creates a man into the image of what he finally becomes is almost impossible for any one of us to really ascertain. Have any of you ever heard anyone... Now, I'm going to test you. I'm going to see what kind of an American you are. Have, have any of you ever heard of the worst stage show that was ever done in America? I want to give you an idea of, of, of how Midwesterners are born and created. How do you think Thurber got to be the sorehead he is? Uh, how do you think uh, Theodore Dreiser got to be as sore as he was? How, how do you think that, uh, let's say, uh, Mark... Twain got irritated. What was bugging him? Midwesterners, all of them. Well, there's a very special, a very special smell of a very special sawdust in the air out there. And I would like to ask you whether or not you have ever heard of the worst play that was ever seen in the Western Hemisphere in the last 50 years. And if you give me the name of it, does anyone out there remember a play named The Maid of the Ozarks? Unbelievably bad. I mean, unbelievably bad. When I say unbelievably, I mean it was so bad you couldn't believe it. It was so bad. And I'm not using this as a figure of speech. It was unbelievably bad. The Maid of the Ozarks. Well, I can only tell you this. That The Maid of the Ozarks played for eight months in Chicago to standing room only audiences. Do you know how long a death of a salesman lasted in Chicago? You're right. Now, is there anyone out there who remembers this play? I will award, really, I will award the brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm to anyone who can really raise his hand honestly and tell me he remembers anything about the Maid of the Ozarks. Even, uh, just name one character. Well, I'll tell you how it was. I am nine years old, say. And my Uncle Tom, who was the bootlegger uncle in our family, the one who had the pearl gray spats, Uncle Tom was one given to the large gesture. 
And one Christmas, Uncle Tom gave to my family, my mother, my father, my brother, and me, a ticket to a live stage show. This was like being invited... Well, this is like almost being invited into some kind of very special little adjunct to paradise itself, to a Midwesterner. Stage shows are very mysterious, very, very, very sacrosanct things. And he doesn't know exactly how to look at them. He really doesn't. On the one hand, he can spot the phony immediately because he's not used to the mystique of the theater. I mean, to my mother, Geraldine Page is kind of loud. Uh, on the other hand, he is bemused and completely taken in by the opposite side of the coin. And so, three days after Christmas, all four of us are sitting in row 23 watching The Maid of the Ozarks. I am nine, and this is my first experience with live theater. He said, any wonder, madam? Is it any wonder? And... and I have found later that no one even remembers this play. No one actually ever even heard of it. So perhaps what it was, it was a childish dream. Forget it. It never existed. There was no play called The Maid of the Ozarks. I prefer to ignore the whole... the whole... the whole brouhaha. Life is just a galamafre. Galamafre. Life is just a checkerboard square that does nothing but give out free premiums, that does nothing but get you in. What do you say, baby? You was right, you know. You was right. Only they ain't listening. Just a galamafre. A galamafre. Of course, the scenes that uh, that happen to be taken. Speaking of scenes, I have... Um, I don't... What do you mean, talk? You mean I've got to... No, don't be silly. Um, it's a funny thing. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where it went. All I can say is that I caught the sales manager here at WOR the other day sitting in his office looking through the right end of a kaleidoscope. So perhaps things might begin to happen. Speaking of things happening, we have with us, among other people, the Village Voice. And uh, I'm very intrigued to know what uh, this very strange, peculiar, very special... And I sometimes think very ironbound afternoon world would think of the village voice. Uh, to me, the village voice is one of the most intriguing things I have seen develop in America in the past eight or nine years. And I think that future historians of journalism will realize this is true. Uh, in just five years, this paper has become one of the leading 
spokesman for a certain way of life, a certain, a certain attitude. This is not an angry political paper, although they have definite attitudes towards everything in the world that's going on. I will say this, that if you don't know about the Village Voice, you should, if you're a New Yorker. Uh, and uh, as probably is true, you do know about the Voice if you are a New Yorker. But the Voice, uh, for a long time, has been experimenting with all sorts of forms of, of saying it. What it is we're trying to say, no one knows. What are you trying to say? What am I trying to say? What is Arthur Miller trying to say? What is Ed Sullivan trying to say? What is Khrushchev trying to say? What is what is Castro trying to say? Wouldn't you, uh, secretly, wouldn't you like to be a person so fantastically important that a cordon of 300 police have to form around your hotel? Wouldn't you like to have 10,000 people demonstrating outside of your room holding up signs, Charles Watanabe is unfair to humanity! <laughs> I'm sorry, I think all of us would. <laughs> Uh, do you know that there's a there's an outfit over in Hackensack, Chris, the uh, New Jersey effigy company, that uh, that makes demonstrator signs. Have you ever wondered where these signs come from that these people demonstrate with? Well, they make all kinds of demonstration signs uh, with pistol grips. Uh, some of them are light, uh, waterproof signs to be used in all weather. Others are specially designed for burning on bonfires. They burn with a cold blue flame, an angry flame. And you can buy them in all shapes, colors, and there is even the universal indignation sign, which is just merely a mad sign. You know, you can, it, it's, it's for universal demonstrations, whether you're demonstrating against the A-bomb, the H-bomb, ovens, demonstrating against Castro, Khrushchev, whatever you're demonstrating against, it, it's the universal multiple-purpose sign. Just hold it up and everyone knows you're mad. I think this is the nicest one of all. I think everyone should have one in his closet, actually. And, oh, yes, they have a wonderful, a, a wonderful line of uh, Excelsior effigies that burn safely. Not, not cause any conflagrations or bonfires that are ad-libs. These all burn safely, and they burn flamboyantly. You'll find that the New Jersey effigy company is standing waiting Speaking of waiting, we have with us the Village Voice. And if you would like to subscribe to this voice, to this paper, uh, a prize-winning newspaper, and one, uh, well, actually, if you don't know about the voice, I'll tell you this. They're the paper that made Jules Pfeiffer famous. No other paper did it. Uh, you'll find Pfeiffer every week in the voice. You'll find all sorts of people. Nat Hentoff. And you will find the most complete, the most complete weekly story of what's going on in the off-Broadway world of theater of any of the newspapers in New York, which means, of course, anywhere. Uh, this is the Village Voice, and if you would like to subscribe to them, you can subscribe this afternoon. And uh, they want you to call Collect, no matter where you're calling from. The price of the voice is $4 for one year, $7 for two. Uh, just give them a call, and they will put you on the rolls. And I'll, I'll, I'll make a personal guarantee here. If after six weeks you do not like the voice, I will see to it that your total amount of, of subscription money is refunded. No questions asked. But let me tell you this. More than one guy has gotten hooked on this paper uh, in spite of himself. Uh, in fact, uh, 
uh, the uh, editor of The Voice told me a very interesting thing. He says whenever they miss a mailing of The Voice, for some reason or other they mail it out one week late or they miss a mailing of some kind, they get indignant letters immediately from people who are suffering withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> so if you would like to subscribe, uh, give them a call at Watkins right now this afternoon and ask for... Uh, well, uh, ask for the demonstration editor who is on de on hand right now. This since this is Sunday and this is the opening of the dictator's convention, which is opening here in New York, they have one of their people on hand. Uh, give them a call at Watkins Four, that's in New York, and reverse the charges. W A four four six six nine. Just give them your name, and in maybe a week or two, you'll begin to get the thing. You know, the sound will begin to happen. Now don't 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 worry about it, madam. Just don't worry about it. I I know I know how you feel. No no, I know how you feel. I I I've known I've known for a long time. I've known for a long time that it wasn't going to be that way, but I knew that there wasn't much we could do about it, either one of us. Being the way it is, you know. Being that it has to be that way, that it is. No, 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 no. Don't, don't make any. Don't, don't make any any quick decisions. Because it's liable to cause the trouble to happen again, and you know what the trouble is. It's it's liable to start it all over again. And and I wouldn't like that. I mean, I really wouldn't like that, and I don't suppose you would either. Now, is there anyone out? No, no, not not yet. No, uh, I uh, I think I have an idea. No, 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 no. Stop it! Stop it! Uh, no idea. No, no, no. We can't. We can't do that. See, it, it, it was a thing which which I thought I could conquer. That's the whole thing. That's the whole story. I thought I could do it. I thought I could get out of that. Terrible. Well, what is it? I don't know. I thought I could. I thought I could break through. I shouldn't be telling you this. Uh. I, I, well, see, it's, it, how can I put it another way? Well, well, all of a sudden, it, it was this way, all of a sudden, the, the big nasturtiums rose in the night from the ocean's bed, and they rested a while in the light of the morning. You see the picture? Turning the sand dunes tiger red, they covered the statue of Abraham Lincoln. They climbed to the top, right to the very top of the church spire. Grandpa, Grandpa, come to the window! Come to the window! Our world's on fire! Big nasturtiums in the high Sierras, big nasturtiums in the lands below. Our trains are late. Our planes have fallen. Ocean, the whistles blow over the fields and over the forest, over the living and over the dead. 
I, I never expected the big nasturtiums to come in my lifetime. That's all that Grandpa said. That's all he said. I just never expected it. Never thought it would happen. Never thought it would happen. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Now, direct from the WOR newsroom, here are the very latest road and traffic conditions in and around the New York area. This report is brought to you by Northwest Orient Airlines. In Manhattan, traffic is reported to be moderate on the East River Drive, the West Side Highway, and the Henry Hudson Parkway. Moderate traffic is reported on the Hutchinson River Parkway, the Sawmill River Parkway, the Cross County Parkway, and the Bronx River Parkway. Moderate traffic is reported on the parkways in the Bronx, and moderate traffic is reported on the parkways in Brooklyn. Three DC-8 intercontinental jet departures a week to Taipei. That's an exclusive on Northwest Orient Airlines. Only Northwest offers you one plane jet service to Taipei from New York. No changing of airlines, no changing of planes. You jet all the way on... Northwest Orient! Now back to the traffic. Moderate traffic is reported on the parkways in Queens. Moderate traffic on the Cross Island Parkway, the Interborough Parkway, Queens Boulevard, and the Van Wyck Expressway. Moderate traffic is reported at the approaches to the bridges and tunnels. In New Jersey, moderate traffic on routes 1, 3, 9, and 23. Moderate traffic on the Garden State Parkway. Moderate traffic on the New Jersey Turnpike. Moderate traffic on Route 4. Moderate traffic on Route 17. And moderate traffic on Route 46. This report has been brought to you by Northwest Orient Airlines. Your dial is set at 710. If you're planning a cruise this fall or winter, make your news dealer your first port of call. He's got this week's queue, featuring a 20-page section detailing over 500 1960-1961 cruises to Europe, to the Orient, to the West Indies, and to South America. The queue to your next cruise is in queue now. Get a copy of Q Magazine today. This is WOR, AM and FM, New York, owned and operated by RKO General. The season ends tonight at Palisades Amusement Park. Hurry over for the big two-for-one special on all rides at Palisades Amusement Park. At the WOR time tone, the time will be 4 p.m. This is Sanford Marshall reporting. For all the news as it happens, stay tuned to this station. And now the news. 
It is a drizzling gray day in New York City today as the United Nations General Assembly meets to voice its approval or disapproval of Dag Hammarskjöld's handling of the Congo situation. The assembly is tense. The city is tense. Soviet Premier Khrushchev is probably 500 miles out at sea and due to arrive tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Cuba's Fidel Castro should arrive at Idlewild Airport within the hour. Poland's Communist Party chief Gomolka and Czechoslovakia's President Novotny arrive this evening around 6.30 p.m. And Congo's one-time premier, Patrice Lumumba, reported alive and safe, has asked for a U.N. plane to fly into this historic session of the U.N., says he has a plan to save the Congo. The host city of New York is braced with security police at every point where they expect trouble. Already demonstrators have ranged themselves around the United Nations. 1,500 Cubans, pro-Castro, are gathered at Idlewild Airport with cards saying, Welcome, Fidel, give him hell. Castro is likely to be the most controversial of all the visiting heads of state and likely to be the most closely guarded. We'll have more news in a moment. Most of us do a lot more driving during the summer. A British newspaper said today that Khrushchev has invited President Eisenhower and Prime Minister Macmillan to open peace talks in New York City. The newspaper says that Macmillan will probably accept. President Eisenhower has asked the American people to remain calm when Soviet Premier Khrushchev arrives in the United States next week. But the State Department has showed its concern that Soviet Premier Khrushchev may use the American facilities of TV and radio for propaganda, has asked some of the networks to beware of this possibility. Vice President Nixon said yesterday that he would never mention the visit of Khrushchev again in his campaigning. Today, Senator John Kennedy said he will not exploit Khrushchev's visit for campaign purposes and would meet the Soviet Premier only if his Republican rival sees the Russian too. The Reverend Dr. Norman Vincent Peale says his offer to resign his pulpit at Marble Collegiate Church, Church in New York City has been refused. He said he made the offer as a result of his recent involvement in the debate on religion in presidential politics. Today, Peale received a standing tribute from his congregation when he appeared in the pulpit. Tropical Storm Florence has been sighted by reconnaissance aircraft about 70 statute miles southeast of Turks Island in the Bahamas, Highest winds of the storm are estimated to be 50 miles an hour at present, but the storm is expected to slowly intensify during the next 24 hours. It is reported moving west at about 17 miles an hour. This is Sanford Marshall reporting from New York. When you're smoking...